0: So this morning I'm preaching on goodness. We're continuing our series you know, through the fruit of the spirit, and I've been assigned. I am this is one of the most excited I've ever been to preach a sermon, and I have a lot to say this morning. And Matt spoke before me, and now I'm preaching. And so uh, I hope we don't go too long today, today, Landon. I had to say it. But I hope we don't go too long, but I have so much to say, you guys. I even had to cut out my introduction hook story to get you all interested in me preaching on goodness. So I hope you're interested now that I have so much to say I had to cut out part of my story. I really want to focus this sermon. I'll pull a number out of the air, I think it's pretty accurate. Ninety-six percent of this sermon is gonna be about God and his goodness. I'm going to touch on our goodness as his people, but I want primarily to tell you guys about the goodness of God. I have been completely overwhelmed the last two weeks as I have prepared this message. I say this a lot. It's not saying much for me to cry. I doubt I'll get through this message without crying. But the Lord has overwhelmed me in the last few weeks during sermon prep. I have just been brought to tears at the goodness of God. And my hope is to some of that. Passion would overflow my heart into you guys this morning. God is good. He's so good, church. It's unbelievable. Here's why I want to focus mostly on God. A couple reasons, one bigger than the other. Here's the first one. A couple weeks ago, Aaron and Beck and I were meeting. We meet weekly, and he disciples us, and we talk about student ministry. we're reading a book that reminded us of this truth. You become what you behold. We read it in the book, and then Aaron passionately reminded Beck and I this principle, and when he first learned it, how impactful it was for him. It's the truth that God has made work through the whole world in everything. So as three former athletes, we talked about how we would behold the athlete that we looked up to, and we started to become like them. We dressed like them, we talked like them, we competed like them. The same is true of our walk with God, hopefully more so. As we behold God, we become like Him. We see this all over scripture implied, but explicitly we see it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. God tells us through Paul, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we behold God, we become like God. So I want us to behold God this morning with His goodness and His good works, knowing and trusting that we'll become like Him in His goodness. The second reason, briefly, is the story of the rich young ruler. That's how I was going to start this morning. I was going to tell the story of the rich young ruler in a once upon a time fashion with some creative license. When I was assigned goodness about four weeks ago, this is a story that kept coming to mind. I thought maybe I would just preach an expository sermon on the rich young ruler, and by God's providence, I'm doing something different. But this is a powerful story, and I'll remind you guys who know the story, maybe some of you don't know the story of the rich young ruler. I won't tell the whole story, I'll just remind you of the beginning. A rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. Now, Jesus there, don't freak out. He's not denying His goodness or His deity. He's just speaking about God from the perspective of the Christian. Leader, giving us this straight starting point. There is no one good but God alone. So again, church, I'm desperate that I could just paint you guys a meager, stick figure. I'm a bad artist. Of God's goodness this morning. And because I had this idea of painting you guys a picture... I was thinking about art a lot in the last week. So I've outlined this sermon with artistic words and terms. Uh, it's kind of nerdy, but it, that's how I am. And I'm not just being creative for creativity's sake, though I think that's okay. I think it's one of the calls of the preacher and teacher is to try to be memorable and creative. But the illustrations in the outline, I think, are really good of these art terms. So just so you know, I'm going to tell you where we're going to go, but two of my, two of my terms are going to be foreign words, literally foreign words. They're going to be art genres, a, a Japanese word and a French word, and most of you are going to be like, what? I've never heard those words. Don't worry, I'll explain it when we get there. So aren't you glad you're here at church this morning? You're going to hear about God's goodness, and you're going to learn two new words, art words. So let me tell you where we're going this morning. Here's the outline. There's five points, so we're all already praying that I'm not going to talk ten minutes each point because that's the long The first one is the goodness of the artist. Capital A, artist. The goodness of God. Second, I want to tell you guys about creation. The canvas of God's goodness. Third, the fall. The kintsugi of God's goodness. Don't worry, I'll explain it. Fourth, redemption. The masterpiece of God's goodness. And fifth, restoration. The ova of God's goodness. Here's my hope. It's, it's less of a main point this morning and a main prayer that I've prayed much for you guys this morning. As we look at our good God and His good works, through faith in the Good Shepherd, may God perform His goodness through us. That's my hope this morning. Let me pray with you. I ask God to help. Lord, thank You so much for this day. Your mercies were new today. Lord, you allowed me to get up early and watch the sunrise and pray for your people and your care. Lord, you know how especially inadequate I feel this morning as I try to talk about your goodness and the way you've overwhelmed me. So I pray that you and do the same in the hearts of my people. we would just be overwhelmed at your goodness and you look at it. We would become more like you and your goodness. Lord, help me get out of the way this morning. This evening, Jesus Christ. First, let's look at the goodness of the artist. Wayne Grudem would define the goodness of God as this The goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good, and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. I love that definition, because a lot of times we think of goodness as like moral perfection, which of God it is. But it's so inherent of God, it seems like Wayne Grootman didn't even need to talk about moral perfection. It's just that God is so good, and everything he does is so good, it's worthy of approval. He goes on, what is good? Good is what God approves. Why is what God approves good? Because he approves it. There's no higher standard of goodness than God's own prayer. Another pastor says this, God's goodness is that he is the perfect sum, source, and standard for himself and for his creatures of, listen, of that which is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful. It's not just that these two theologians and pastors say these great definitions of God's goodness. God tells us all over the Bible that he's good. So let's look at what he says. Uh, My wonderful wife made a PowerPoint for us this morning, so I understand, especially my heart goes out to you guys as young kids. It's hard to follow along in these topical sermons. We're going a lot of places, so pretty much every text I'm going to use this morning, you can just look up. One thing I want to do this morning, because we always show reverence for God's Word and stand at some point during the reading of God's Word, I figured we could stand as I read six verses about God's goodness. And then if you agree, if this is an amen in your heart, I don't want you to do this because I'm asking you, you can res- respond to me after I read the verse, God is good. And kids, if you want to, I'm giving you permission to yell it as loud as you want. God is good after I read these verses, so please stand as I read about God's goodness. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who takes refuge in the earth. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 106, verse 1 and 107, verse 1. Start the same. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. God is not good in small measure. I'm going to say one thing and then I'm going to read two more verses. He's not just good in small measure, though. We think about God and, and maybe He's just limited in His goodness. No, He's rich in goodness. And we see this all over the Scriptures. A couple examples. Zechariah 9, 17. For how great is His goodness and how great His beauty. God is good. Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness that you have stored up for those who see you and work for those who take refuge you. God is beautiful, church. He's admirable. He's worthy of praise. He's morally perfect. He's ultimately satisfying. God's heart is a perpetual fountain of goodness. He never started to be good. He'll never cease to be good. His goodness couldn't be added to. His goodness couldn't be subtracted from. God is good. Church, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? If you're a Christian in here, you have. If you're not, I encourage you to consider everything I've said and everything I'm going to say. God is so good. He wants us to taste and see His goodness. And because God is good in and of Himself, everything He does is good. All of His works are good. Worthy, beautiful, admirable. And we see this in the act of creation, which is the canvas of God's goodness. So if you guys want to turn your Bible to Genesis 1 and 2, please do. Uh, It'll be up there also. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, don't worry. I'm just going to point your eyes to a few things. God's goodness in creation. I want you guys to see six examples of God's goodness. I'm not claiming this to be exhaustive. In fact, I know I've missed some. You could study this and find way more aspects of God's goodness. But for the sake of time, I've narrowed it down to six that I really want to tell you about, and I want you to see. The first is the goodness of everything God created. This is probably the most obvious. When we read the creation account, we read after each day, God sees what He made and says it's good. Fun little fact. Actually, He doesn't say it after the second day. That freaked me out. But I chased it down... I have too much to say this morning to talk about that. I'll just tell you this. In verse 31, if you look at verse 31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So That implies that everything that he made, God looks at it, and it's very good. It's, it's perfect. As R.C. Sproul would say, there is no maverick molecule. He would still say that. God was still sovereign over the fall, and we're going to get there. But everything was perfect in order, it was amazing, untainted by sin, and it was beautiful. And how do I know that it was beautiful? And you guys all know this too. Because look at the creation now. It's still unbelievably beautiful. And it's under a curse. And it's under sin. And this is this place is amazing, is it not? Do you guys ever have a friend come visit you from out of town who's not from Colorado? You pick them up from DIA, you're driving west on Canyon Boulevard, and you're like, look at the mountains. That is amazing. And then you kind of feel guilty because you're like, oh yeah, I've taken that for granted for the last few months. But that really is amazing. amazing. I can't believe I live in Northern Colorado. It's a beautiful place. Can you imagine what it looked like before the fall what it looked like in the restoration? God saw it and said, this is so good. The second one is the goodness of God to create humans in his image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 say this. The first part of 26. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. How good of God to create us in his image. God made all the animals before He made humans. He could have made us in the image of a donkey or a dog. Why is your elbowing and right now? Stop. That's what you It was good of God to create us in His image. That means a lot of things. That could probably be a, a five-point sermon series. on everything that to be made in the image of God. So, most simply, I would just say what it means. It's really profound. I might have said it before. God made us in His image to image Him, to represent Him. One of the best illustrations I ever heard was, think of the Caesars, Julius Caesar who put statues of himself throughout his provinces, representing his rule and reign in the area. You you guys represent me, you're under my rule and reign. And God put all these billions of statues, all of us on the earth, to represent Him. What an honor that is. We don't talk about that enough as, as believers even. We do talk about it in a horizontal way. Think about it like this. Think about a prestigious organization asking you to represent them. And how we all say, man, what an honor. So maybe if we get a little more specific and put a face to this illustration, one of our pastors played professional baseball, Aaron Santini. And we think, man, what an honor that Major League Baseball asked you to represent them. And specifically the Minnesota Twins. To represent them. What an honor. And yet, so rarely as Christians we talk about the honor that God made us in his image and restored that image to our faith in Christ. What, a, what an amazing honor. How good of God to make us in his image. Third is the goodness of God to give humans dominion over the earth and animals. This is the second half of uh, verse 26 and verse 28 says this, and let let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every thinking thing that creeps on earth. and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God called us to be good students of his creation. To be a steward means to have the careful use, control, and/or management of the possessions of another that have been entrusted to you. God didn't have to give us dominion over this place. He could have created us and said, "I'm going to stay in control." For those of you who are artists in here, I think of my wife Audrey or Michelle. Michelle actually painted a really cool picture of a lion in Cindy's office. It's big and it's amazing. Could you imagine? doing this big piece of art finishing it or almost finishing it and then giving it to someone else to finish up and saying I'm still going to sign my name in the bottom right and are still going to go in the gap. How amazing of God to do that and the reality is he knew we were going to mess it up. That is good of God to give us stewardship over this place and to take good care of it. Fourth the goodness of God to give us marriage. Genesis so 2, 22-24. And the ribs that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. Therefore a man shall lose his father and mother and go fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. How oh, good of God to give us marriage! What a cool picture of the intimacy God wants us to see and experience, and wants us to have with Him, and gives us in our spouse. I didn't want to overstate it, and I'm going to try not to blubber, but I don't think I would be the man I am apart from Auntie Bob. She has been. My prayer warrior, my best friend, my companion, she challenges me and she convicts me. I just, I, I wouldn't even be up here right now preaching this sermon were it not for her staying home and taking care of the kids and doing extra on weeks that I preach. Marriage is such a good gift. Husbands, hold so fast to the good gift that is your wife. And wives go so fast to the good gift that is your husband? If you're in here and you're, you're, you're your marriage is struggling maybe that's just a little bit of a perspective you need to take some steps in a better direction remember what a good gift it is and maybe I'd remind you of that piffy saying that I learned as a young married guy that marriage is more about your holiness than your happiness so if you're frustrated and you're always seeing your sin and God's always sanctifying you, praise God what a good gift he's given you and for those of you who aren't married I would just remind you and encourage you you can experience God's goodness in so many other ways. Like Brandon preached a few weeks ago if you're longing to a spouse, I encourage you to keep praying about that. Be impatient, trusting God's timing and His plans life. Marriage is such a good thing. Today's our first time, by the way. Fifth, the goodness of God to give us children, to let us be faithful. Genesis one. And God blessed him and said he peace, free, free, and we'll to him, be fruitful and multiply and the earth. What a good gift of God to give us the ability to have children. And give us children. I've been saying to my life group and to you all at times, parenting is really hard. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And in this quarantine, God has allowed me to see a lot of my intentions overall, kids are a good gift. And even amidst that, I shouldn't even say it that way. Because amidst that, God is sanctifying me; He's using my kids to show me my impatience tonight. What an honor to be given kids by God to be the main people who shape their souls. Teach them in the ways of God and Godliness and righteousness. Kids are amazing, amazing. gift. I'll respect it, by the way. <laughs> and again, for those of you, I know people struggle with infertility here, and they're wishing they could have kids. And again, just like the gift of marriage, I encourage you that you can experience God's goodness in so many other ways. I hope you've shared your struggles with your life group, with the pastors. People are praying for you, walking alongside you. And we can keep praying that God would give you the gift of children. And and believe that He has the power to do so. And if not, He's still good. I hope you believe that. He's still, still so good. Finally, if we just zoom out and think about Genesis 1 and 2, the goodness of God just to create the universe and everything in it in order to share Himself with and His creation. You guys, God is so happy. He was so—he's been happy for all eternity in the in the fellowship of the Trinity. God was always happy. He didn't need to create the universe and to create human beings because he was kind of unhappy or kind of unglory in thought. he's just going to add to my happiness, or to my glory. And yet, out of his goodness, he's created this canvas to share himself with and his goodness with, and that's amazing. It's amazing. See, so he didn't do anything to deserve to be created or saved. And God, in, in his goodness, out of the goodness of his heart, he's created it all. So creation is the canvas of his goodness. But for those of you who know the story, and for those of you who don't, there's an apparent mistake on the canvas. There's an apparent stain, or I'm about to change the medium of art. It's like God made this pot, gave it to humans, and we dropped it. One of the first things we did, we dropped it and broke it. It looks bad, but it's not. It brings us to the fall, which is the kintsugi of God's goodness. Kintsugi is a Japanese word that literally means golden joinery. It's also known as kintsukuloi, which means golden repair. It's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer, dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or plaque the powerpoint's not working. There wasn't really a picture. Um, But you'll have to look. Oh, there it is. That's what consuming looks like. And I would argue, and many artists would, that that is more beautiful than it not having been broken. And and we see God's goodness in the fall, and we see it even more specifically in redemption, that God had always known this was going to happen. We're not going to go there. But I believe, God, this was not a surprise to God. In fact, it was allowed. And I'm even going to say, and it was ordained by God to be sovereign over everything, that the pot would drop and break, and we'd go, oh no, it's messed up. And he says, No, I'm gonna make it look more beautiful than before the fall. That's what conceived me. So let me just remind you of the fall quickly, and then I want you guys to see God's goodness amidst the fall and his fears. It was really amazing though, reading this chapter again with the lens of goodness on my eyes. And really brought it to light more. I hope it's helpful to you guys. Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a snake. And he says, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit? And he said, no, you can eat all the fruit except for the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good. And the tree of the knowledge of good. And maybe those mature saints already knew this. But as I thought about it, it just blew my mind. Like Adam and Eve were never even supposed to have knowledge of good and evil. The same way we talk about, like if you asked a fish about water, it would have no idea what you're talking about. Before the fall, if you asked Adam and Eve what good and evil were, they, they wouldn't have any idea what you're talking about. They just lived in the water of God's goodness. They, they made no judgments about what was good or evil because that was God's job. And then the other amazing thing that came to me just this week is, is Satan did... Adam and Eve to question the goodness of God. I think that's the crux of it. I don't think I'm adding that to this text just because we're preaching on the goodness. There, he says, it's, it's okay to eat it because if you do, you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. And, and, and Adam and Eve are saying, you think, Is God really good? Or is He standing out on us? And that was the first Root of the first sin. Is, is God good? I don't think He is. I think He's holding out on us. You know these dum-dums forgot about Genesis 1, 26, and 27. They were already like God. He already made them in His image. The question is goodness. They ate the fruit and sin came into the world. Let me show you two aspects of God's goodness amidst the sin. First is Genesis 3, 14, and 15. As God is Hold on. We're gonna we're gonna see this, I skipped part. The first pronouncement of the gospel. Uh, the nerdy theologians like we call it the proto-evangelium. The first pronouncement of the gospel. We're gonna see in Genesis three, fifteen. As God is pronouncing a curse on the snake, we're gonna see an amazing promise to mankind. So read with me Genesis three, fourteen and fifteen. The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Now, there's lots of debate in Christianity about a lot of different theological things. Isn't it? Bible interpretation, and I'm not this big scholar who's been studying for years, but this, Genesis 3.15, I've actually never heard of a pastor, or a commentator, or a theologian, or a church historian who doesn't believe that Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of God. God here is basically saying, from here on out, there's going to be a battle between good and evil, between the seed of the woman and the seed of the snake, and the seed of the woman is going to win, good is going to win. The the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman stomping on the head of the snake, a fatal blow. And the death of Jesus is the strike of the snake on the heel of Jesus. He got poisoned. He died, but death couldn't hold him. He rose again. He stomped the snake's head. And here we see the first promise of the gospel. It's, it's amazing, you guys. God is so good. It just came over me like a wave. God is so good that He can't even finish pronouncing a curse on His greatest enemy without speaking a blessing to the people He loves. What a good God! Next, we see the first sacrifice for sins in Genesis three twenty-one. Adam and Eve are. Naked in their shame. That's the judgment of good. They should have never made, by the way. And what does the Lord do in verse 21? The hey, Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and these clothes. God had to kill an animal or two to cover them, their shame. It's amazing goodness of God, because if I were Adam or Eve, when I heard, in the day that you eat of this tree, you will die, I would have thought the minute I take a bite of that fruit, I'm dropping dead. Artifact, brain explodes. I think God always plans on giving grace. I don't think He changed His mind. I don't think God changes His mind. But he, in His goodness, He gives grace, and He covers them with skins of animals. This foreshadows the, the sacrificial system from the Old Testament. That taught God's people without the shedding of blood and something dying and being covered by that, there's no forgiveness of sins. And that points us to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was slain for the sins of the world. We see all through Scripture. We have to be blood has to be shed, a death has to be has to happen, and we have to be covered by something to be saved. It's amazing. So briefly now implications on our goodness. I'm going to stop talking about God just for a second and talk about the implications. Before sin came into the world, humans were able to do true and pure acts of goodness. They had living spirits, desire to honor and glorify God, and they were able to. And after sin came into the world, you all know this, you Christians know this, kind of speaking to the people you hear who might not be Christians humans lost their ability to be true and pure acts of goodness. Now, kind of like Trey talked about last week in kindness, I'm not saying that unbelievers can't do any acts of goodness. Outwardly, they can. And sometimes it might be to benefit somebody. But the reality is that doesn't come from the Spirit of God with a desire to honor and glorify God. God doesn't see it as good. I know that's hard to swallow. But an unbeliever could build a hundred hospitals in Africa, and God would look at it and say, let's sit eyes. it's not good. It does earn your way of God. we're going to say the good means of Jesus Christ go But God's goodness would shine brightest in the person and work of his Son and redeem mankind's ability to do goodness. That was always his point. And he's going to repair this fall with the technique of consuming. And that brings us to Redemption which is the masterpiece of God's goodness. If you want to look at John 10, 11 through 16 with me, we'll look at the story of the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's really hard to talk about the goodness of God in general, and especially in his redemption. And only talk to you guys about three things that I see from this story. The whole Bible, and especially the New Testament, is full of us learning what the goodness of God is in redemption. That's the whole Christian life is learning how good God is, in the height, and the breadth, and the depth, and the width of God's goodness to give us his son. With that said, I just want to point out three three quick things from God's goodness in adventure. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the same way that I sometimes get calloused to the beautiful mountains to our west, I've noticed in my heart, and I bet you guys have too, that we're not served to unbelievable worship every day for the goodness of our salvation, the goodness of the Good Shepherd to lay down His life for us. And I'm not trying to gospel guilt me right now. But I just pray that for me and for this church, that we would never account for that. Jesus Christ came as the Good Shepherd that died for us. It is the masterpiece of God's goodness. He who didn't spare His own Son, how will you not also live in grace to seek your assault? Straighter love has no one than this and someone laying down their life for their friends. Where would you be apart from this, the good shepherd laying down his life for you? Audrey okay, and I talk about this a lot. We were living really empty, really defaustious lives before Jesus saved trying to fill our hearts with so much empty stuff. And by His grace, He just gave us eyes to see, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, I'm a sinner, I don't want any of this crap that I'm holding. I just want Jesus. I hope you guys would think about where He would be without the Good Shepherd holding down His for those of you who don't follow this good shepherd, I just call you to believe that he's a good shepherd, and everything you're trying to fill your heart with isn't going to satisfy you. I've tried it. I've tried it all. I promise. I've tried it all. Jesus Christ is the only thing that satisfies. And thing that die for you. And why? You know, sometimes us reform people are show about God and his glory, and, and yes, primarily Jesus did die to glorify the Father. But he does love us. Sometimes we've heard we reform so to remember. He does love us. He does care for us. It says that. He, he compares himself to a higher hand. He says the higher hand cares nothing for the sheep. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a higher hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is not a higher hand. Jesus is in this for the money that we could offer Him, and God offered Him. He cares for us. Think about Psalm 43. I want to cite some right you I don't think we have time to memorize Psalm 23. A good shepherd cares for you. He laid down his life for you. He will protect you. He'll set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Surely goodness And mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Finally, what we see here is his mission to gather all of his lost sheep. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is really good news for us. Jesus says, there are other sheep, and I must bring them, and they will listen to my voice. I really wanted to hit the sovereignty of God in salvation right now. Really hard. I'm, I'm going to just calm down a little bit and tell you. God is on an infallible mission to gather His lost sheep. And what an amazing gift of His goodness to invite us into this mission. And trust that as we do good deeds and preach the good news, that the sheep will hear the voice of their shepherd through us. Praise God that it's God who saves and calls us to to preach the gospel and go to sleep at night and sleep well. I don't want to generalize, so I'll just be personal. If if I didn't believe that, I don't know how I would sleep at night. If if I believe that I just have to get you to make a decision, that I just have to work on my argument day in and day out, if I can argue you into the kingdom and get you to make a decision, but praise God, it's up to the lost sheep hearing the voice of their shepherd. But we can go out to all the community here in northern Colorado or wherever else we do mission, trusting that as we preach the gospel, sheep are going to hear the voice of their shepherd. The good of God to be sovereign in salvation and to allow us to be part of His mission. Now again, let me touch on our goodness. After our Good Shepherd calls us to Himself, He gives us His Spirit and produces and enables us to do good deeds or good works. This is really where our goodness fits into the picture here. Good works can be defined, acts designed specifically to benefit others, which are characteristic of God. One author joined kindness and goodness and defined it this way. Kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Basically, goodness is kindness in action. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." And we've been saved by the Good Shepherd and given His Spirit. All the places that we live, work, and play, you moms out there, you engineers, you nurses, you are walking in the good works which God has prepared before the foundation of the world. And he's, and he's using your good works to, to find his lost sheep. May every act of goodness we do to believers and unbelievers be done for the glory of God. May it be done for the joy and sanctification of the believer and the hope to share God's goodness to the unbeliever. So through God's masterpiece of the Good Shepherd, He will use His people for His mission in the world. And someday, someday, maybe today, God's going to restore all things. Brings us to the final point. Restoration, the obra of God's goodness. Obra is a French word that means the works of an artist regarded collectively. The, The body of an artist's work. Regarded collectively. Someday God's going to restore so, the world, the earth. He's going to recreate. He so He's making all things new and will be surrounded by goodness. And we will look at the, at the body of God's work from creation to restoration. And we will declare many things, but one of the things we will declare is God is good. We have seen all your work from beginning to end, and you are good, I cannot wait. Let's look at Revelation 21, 1-4 really quick. highlight a few aspects of God's goodness in the restoration. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared of the bride, of the Lord for And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, anymore, For the former things have passed away. We see God's goodness to create a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. There will be an unpainted goodness we will be like fish in the water again. We will only know goodness and It will be even better than the Garden of Eden because there won't even be potential for sin here. It will be so, so good. It says, God will dwell again with mankind. Verse 3. I love this. Behold the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be their God. We will, in the restoration Receive the greatest gift we've ever received. It'll be fully consummated. We will get God Himself. We've got God Himself in the person who Jesus Christ, and then we get the Holy Spirit, and someday in the restoration. We will not walk by faith anymore. We'll walk by sight. God will be our God. We'll be His people. We'll see Him face to face. And finally, verse 4, He's going to wipe away every fear from the eyes kind of imagine, I don't, I don't necessarily see this in the Bible, but this is just the way I imagine it. We, we may have tears. Right when we get there, we may have tears. And, and I'll talk to God and I'll say, it was really hard to see Aunt Karen die of cancer. She was only 50. And you guys will talk to God and it was really hard to see such and such a friend go so through cancer or lose a child. And God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. And he'll, he'll maybe, maybe he'll show us the millions of good things he did through the bad things. And we'll praise him. And if he doesn't decide to show us, we'll still say, God is good. Death will be no more. He'll defeat death. There'll be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. For the former things have passed away. Everything that's bad and evil will be gone. And we'll only, only be good. As I conclude this morning, um, I figured we could just add communion to the end of this, and stay focused on God's goodness. So if you guys want to grab your communion cups and get them ready, I'm going to conclude. We'll take together. I'll tell you when. I just poured my heart out to you guys about God's goodness. And yet I know many of you may be may be suffering right now. You may say intellectually I know God's good, but it's really hard to believe in my heart, in my hands, my feet. I'll leave you with a, a children's story that uh, Smitty actually recommended to me. It's called "The Moon Is Always Round." It's pretty heavy, and it's a spoiler alert, but right? it's so, "The Moon Is Always Round" is about a, a family of three. Uh, a mom and a dad and a little boy, and the mommy's pregnant. And throughout the book, the little boy is looking at the shape of the moon and tracing it with the size of his mom's tummy. So he says, when the moon is a crescent, mommy's belly was about the size of a cantaloupe, And when the moon looked like a slice of an apple, mommy's belly was like the size of a watermelon. And yet on each page, the dad is reminding the boy, but the moon is always round. Well, Mom and Dad go to the hospital. Um, Grandparents watch the the little boy, and Mom and Dad come home without baby sisters. She's still born 39 years. And and the dad is preaching at his daughter's funeral. And he says, The moon is always round. And he looks at his little boy, and he's right in front and says, What does that mean? And the little boy says that God is always round. No matter what we see, Sometimes the moon doesn't look round and We can trust it's always round. And it's the same with God. No matter what we see of him, no matter what we're going through, God is always good. And if we're prone to believe he's not good, we need to look at the cross. He's good and he's proved it in the personal work of his son Jesus Christ. So Jesus instituted the world's supper, and may we remember his goodness to us as we take together. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. Let's take together and thank the good shepherd. Lord, thank you for your goodness. You have overwhelmed me and I'll drink with your goodnessness. Lord, so I pray that you just Overwhelm your people today with your goodness. That as we behold your goodness, we would become more like you in your goodness. Lord, this church body is a gift of goodness to me. I know everyone feels that way. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we do declare this morning that you are so good. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We thank you in the name of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is our our Lord, our Savior, our King and Christ.